harvest. It's been uh, five years and one Sunday and counting, and uh, it's a joy to be here with you and uh, Warriors for Christ. That's what we're pursuing after, Warriors for Christ. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware or not, but uh, we are actually in a whole series of some very special Sundays here. Um, two Sundays ago, we took kind of a, a non-typical Sunday, and we were at the beginning of Joshua chapter 3, and we took that Sunday to consecrate ourselves and to set that aside as a, kind of a special Sunday. And we've had some people come and say, we should do that more often or once a year. And that was just a special, unique Sunday for us to do that. And then last Sunday was our five-year anniversary. I mean, how sweet. Um, out of Joshua chapter 3, the latter half, and kind of, if you will, uh, stand a half mile back and just look and see what God has done. And I'm just going to tell you, for me personally, the thing that I enjoyed the most was as a church, um, oftentimes when you hit kind of special uh, times um, in a church and it's five years or ten years or whatever, oftentimes it kind of ends up being about a church standing up and kind of beating its chest and just kind of saying, look at all we've done. And uh, I just so appreciated having a Sunday where we could step back and just hear what God has done, just a sampling of what God has done in the lives of people and very special this coming Sunday's Easter. Um, I want to encourage you next Sunday to come early and to come prepared. I want to encourage you during this week, as Larry was mentioning, that you would be prepared, that God would do a great work next week and you come early and ready to meet people and greet and just be together. Then in two Sundays, uh, Sunday evening, April 7th, 530, uh, it's, it's there in your update on information. We're going to be having a groundbreaking, even though ground has been broken all over the 23 acres over there. Uh, we're going to be uh, having a groundbreaking uh, evening together just for probably a half an hour together. And, and uh, that's not going to be a beating our chest, aren't we great? That is going to be one more opportunity to remember what the Lord has done. Special times. In fact, it's interesting because we are, if you're here with us new, we're going through the book of Joshua. And, and I have not been through the book of Joshua to the depth that we are doing it, and especially in a teaching kind of a manner. And so it's, it's really fun in so many ways to experience things, and I'm kind of wanting to experiencing them with you and bring you into that reality as I experience it. And I'm just going to tell you, I did not... Uh, uh, quite think that we would be having these initial chapters, which I'm actually going slower than I thought I would uh, through these, but uh, they're just grabbing me in a way along with these unique Sundays to where it's kind of like, it's just important to pause and just take these times and remember what the Lord has done. In fact, I'll just say personally, uh, I've become convinced that we, I pause too infrequently. And we just kind of go, go, go. What's the next thing on the to-do list? And um, we need to pause more often. And that really cares, carries me into what we're talking about today out of Joshua chapter 4. We are prone to forget. Have you noticed that? Or have you forgotten that? We are prone to forget. We uh, live in a dat data-saturated culture. And as I was thinking about it this week, there's so much data to remember. I mean, I don't know, back in the rock ages or whatever, it's just like all you had to remember is how to survive. And now we've got, here's some various things of data, phone numbers, IDs, and here's the killer, passwords. 
addresses, schedules, school data, work data, church data, TV channels, radio channels, recipes, bank accounts, to-do lists, grocery lists, bills to pay. It's just like, stop, stop, stop. It's just data on top of data. And, and out of that, we've developed tools to help us remember the data, of which I'm very grateful for. And in fact, I'm very grateful for my iPhone. I love this thing. It reminds me of the time, which I don't pay attention to very often. But just it keeps data and holds things for us. Uh, I'm grateful for one of the greatest inventions ever made in all of history, and that is post-it notes. I love those things. I don't care how techy it gets. They're dear to me. I love post-it notes. Um, I even remember back in the day, kind of college days, not for cheating purposes, but for remembering purposes, I used to write notes on my hand a lot, just not like class notes, but just something would pop up and I'd write on my hand because I didn't have anything else to do that. And who would use paper? That's just boring. We have other people to help us remind us of stuff. And all of those are wonderful tools to help us remember, but we are prone to forget And I've really kind of been talking about how we're prone to forget the minutia data of life. Important data, but minutia data. But I also just want to make mention two examples, I think, of how we are prone to forget big data of life. And this first one is in no way a political statement. It's just a reality. As time goes on, we've gotten more and more to the place where we've just forgotten that we are prone to forget what's gone into this country and being here. And the lives that have been given and what's gone behind us with that. We are just prone to forget that. Another is we're just soon to forget what God has done. I mean, he's created everything. Really. Really, he has created everything. And then the second person of the Trinity comes in the flesh through the purpose of going to the cross to to bear the payment for sin, making forgiveness and redemption available. Risen from the dead, proving who he is, and closing what he has done and securing that in redemptive history. We are prone to forget. We are prone to forget, yet we are called to remember. In fact, let me go through some passages of Scripture here. Listen to how the Scriptures tell us this thread of remembering. Exodus 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath. Numbers 15, remember the commands of the Lord. Deuteronomy 15, 15, remember you were slaves in Egypt and how the Lord brought you out. Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, remember how the Lord guided you in the desert. Deuteronomy 9, 7, remember how you provoked the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Deuteronomy 9, 27, remember God's servant, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Psalm 143, 5, remember the days of old. I meditate on all you have done. Psalm 119, 52, I remember your ancient laws, O Lord, and I find comfort in them. Ecclesiastes 12, 1, uh, youngsters, I love this. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Lamentations 3, it says, This I remember, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Isaiah 64, verse 5. You, Lord, come to the help of those who are glad to do right. 
those who remember your ways. John 15, 20, Jesus said, remember the words I spoke to you. 2 Timothy chapter 2, remember Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 32, remember those earlier days after you had received the light. And listen out of Psalm 77 that we uh, referred to last Sunday. It says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your mighty uh, work among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was the whirlwind. Your lightning lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. We see all through scripture, we are called to be a remembering people. Why, is that, why are we called to be a remembering people? Well, because uh, we are prone to forget. We are prone to forget. Hey, Doug, uh, if we're called to be a remembering people, then um, what can we do to remember? How can we get better at remembering? I am so very glad that you asked that question. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. Uh, here at Harvest, we're big about our Bibles, and we dig into them, and we're going to be reading a text out of chapter 4 today. This is going to be kind of a little bit of a different Sunday in that um, out of this, um, I'm just kind of going to one of the things that come out of this text here today. But Joshua chapter 4, uh, one way to remember better, and it's to build memorials. By the way, um, we're prone to forget, aren't we? So how about I remind us of what Joshua chapters 1, 2, and 3 were about, okay? Just so we're all on the same page. Let's bring us up. Joshua chapter 1. Moses has died, and he's passed the leadership baton on to uh, Joshua. And, and then God gives Joshua two promises and, and two directives. Remember that? And, and one of those is including be strong and courageous. Remember when he went through that, when you follow the text out of Joshua chapter one, it's that idea of be strong and courageous. is isn't about beating your own chest like, oh, I'm a man, just suck it up and go after it. It's more out of actually, it's be a person that's in the word doing the word. That's what it really talks about is being someone that's strong and courageous in the book, doing the book. And then Joshua tells his administrative leaders to tell the people to prepare their provisions. That's a big statement for us this year. We are in a year of preparing our provisions. And, and we're in a year where it's uh, mission people have seasons of mi mission preparation. And that's us this year. And then the people respond and they prepare to enter. And I love it at the end of Joshua chapter 1. They respond back to Joshua, the leaders do. And they go, Joshua, we're with you, man. You be strong and courageous. Then we come into Joshua chapter 2. You can see it there in your own Bible. And Joshua sends out the two spies to Jericho. Remember that? And they stay with Rahab, a harlot, a prostitute. Awkward. 
We talked about that, but it becomes evident that God has gone before his people declaring his glory. And we hear from here's this prostitute in this city that she's already aware of what God, what Yahweh has done. And in it, out of it, uh, she literally, she cries for mercy. Uh, By the way, that's so what coming to Christ is all about. Crying mercy, I'm stuck, I'm here, I'm doomed, judgment is coming upon and I'm doomed. And I love it, what she does is she essentially, as we talked about it, she declared treason on everything that she was and her whole citizenship. That's what coming to Christ is. I declare treason on that and I need to relocate myself (laughs) to someone completely different and a whole new ownership. And then the two spies come back. They return to Joshua. And I love it at the end of chapter 2 as well. And they tell Joshua, they said, Joshua, the Lord has given the land to us. Right on, guys. Right on. Then Joshua chapter 3, there they are on the east bank of the Jordan. They're ready to enter the promised land. It's been since the time of Abraham. It's like 700, 1,000 years time since God said he would have a people with a place, an ascending-based place, not a condo-based place but a place to send out and impact the world. And it's been some 700, 1,000 years since that come about. And they're right on the doorfront. They're right at the step about to enter in. And and of all the things God asks them to do is just to uh, pause. Stop. Take a breath. Consecrate yourselves. Because I am about to do something huge right in front of you. And you need to be prepared to get what I'm about to do. So they did, and we did on that Sunday. And then all of a sudden, the the priests go, and they take the Ark of the Covenant, and they begin to walk down to the Jordan. And then they walk into the Jordan. And remember, where are the people? They're a half mile back. And they're a half mile back, I really think, in the text for them, as we talked about last week, for them to just be able to see all this unfold. And they're walking down in this valley area, kind of down by the Dead Sea area, somewhere around there. And it's big, flat, open plains, and yet kind of mountains on each side. And and they come in, and there they are watching this whole thing. And the Jordan, at the wrong time of the year, it's the worst time of the year to cross the Jordan, but it's the perfect time of the year for God to do a work. It's flood stage. Because if it were just any other time of the year, they could have worked a way through. They could have gotten inner tubes and sat in them or whatever they would have done. Uh, But it was flood stage. That was impossible. And God had to show up. And God did. And from a half mile away, again, can you picture that as we talked about? Just seeing the whole river just at flood stage just stop. However God did it. And then they walked down on dry ground. In Joshua chapter 3, verse 17, now the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on what kind of ground? What kind of ground? Dry ground. In the midst of the Jordan, all Israel is passing over on what kind of ground? Until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Hey God, I've taken a bit of an extended time here just to refresh us because we're prone to forget. Remind us of where we're at. We're in Joshua chapter 4, Lord. Your people are on the west side of the Jordan River. You've just done an amazing work. They are inside the promised land doorway. You've just shown yourself big. And the tendency is for us as people and for them is just to kind of walk on by. 
to acknowledge that was very cool and then just continue on. But you had them pause to prepare before they crossed over. And God, now we're going to see here as we just kind of narrow in on one of these things out of Joshua chapter 4 that on the other side of the river, you're going to have them pause again, but pause to remember. Show us yourself, Lord. Would you please stun us with you? In your name we pray. Amen. Joshua chapter 4, verse 1. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man. I don't know if you remember, but in chapter 3, I believe it was in verse 12, uh, Joshua was told to pick 12 men, and we were never told why, what they were going to do. But now we find out, uh, here's these 12 men from every tribe. By the way, it's an altogether thing. It's, it's one from each, the 12 tribes of Israel, reminded of this is not just an individual event. This is a, a whole Israelite event, all of God's people thing. Verse 3. And the Lord told Joshua to command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly. You know, I I love how our scriptures just tell us some details. They didn't just stand there, but they stood firmly there. In other words, the, the river gunk, you know, when the water comes away, and it's not like oozing between their toes and they're sinking and they're kind of like having to move around and stand around just to try and stay stable. It, the ground was what? It was dry. And not only was it dry, but so dry that we reaffirm here out of the scriptures that they're able to stand firm on it. And here they are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, as we looked at last week, and, and all of that is happening and taking place. And then Joshua called... Uh, I'm sorry, verse 3, uh, 12 stones, there they are, and the priests, the feet for, stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. So put stones where you're lodging, where you're hanging out at, where I've brought you. Verse 4, then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe, just to make sure we're not getting that. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder okay now when you came in today you were given a little river stone right okay and if you didn't we'll we'll get you one a little later here but i would like for you to get that river stone out get it in your hand okay grab a hold of it getting it out and i'd like for you to take that in your hand and hold it on your shoulder okay now my purpose in having us do this right now is because does that not look dorky uh, the point is, is that they did not go in, you know, like little kids do looking for the shiniest or the smoothest or the coolest little tiny rock, but it was a shoulder rock. Okay. Uh, you can go ahead and put it down if you want, if you feel goofy, but, but it was a, but it also was not a boulder. Uh, I mean, us guys, you know, we're the type where it's like Michael's over here and Paul's here, you know, and we're Rob's here and we're like, okay, John, and you know, we're going to, let's go get some stones and I can guarantee what's happening with us. It's a competition now, right? That's just the way we are. But here they go in and they grab these stones. But they can't be huge, but they can't be little tiny because I'm telling you, if it's like all of a sudden Pastor Cody's got like the little rock you've got there, I'm telling you, we are mocking him, okay? And it's like, dude, pick up a rock, okay? And so they're picking up a good-sized stone, but you just picture it. And where are they going to pick it up from? Right where the priest's feet stood. 
You know, we got to be careful uh, on this because this does not wor- mean worshiping that ground, but there is a connection here. There is the kind of thing that it's like, listen, God worked right there, right there. The manifest power and presence of God. We're not worshiping the ground, but it's just a remembering that, listen, the rocks that came, came from right in that area where God did work. And can you just see them getting down? I don't think they were just rocks that maybe were just up. I don't know. Maybe they had to dig around them a little bit, but they, they get them and it's like, <clears throat> And then they're walking them over to the other side. And, and, and where do they set them? They set them down where God brought them to. That's cool. And so they put it and then they stack these 12 stones. Let's keep reading. Put them on your shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. In other words, 12 stones. That this may be important statement here. That this may be a sign among you. A sign, we'll come back to that. When your children ask in time to come, uh, what do these stones mean, Mommy? Daddy, what do those stones mean? Hey, Uncle Bob, what do those stones mean? Then you shall tell them. And you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. By the way, it's really cool in the texture. Two times it makes sure. And this is just like a, you know, like a samurai knife idea. God just didn't like wimp mamsy pamsy this. This wasn't just like some natural freakism that took place. No, God cut it off. And who can cut water off? I mean, it's really hard to stop water, isn't it? You lay down in front of it and it oozes its way around. But God cut it off. Bam! Just, oh, just a picture of that. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial for how long? That's a long time, isn't it? Verse 8. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan. According to the number of the tribes of people of Israel, the, the writer is really making sure we understand that these have representation for all. Just as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over, to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Verse 9, and Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan. Did you get that? It wasn't just 12 over here, but it was also Joshua set up 12 stones right where the whole event happened, where they grabbed the stones. I I can't quite tell from the text if he took them from right around here and reordered them, or actually, I don't know, maybe Joshua took them from that side and brought them. We don't quite know, so I don't want to assume and have sanctified imagination, but it's the kind of thing here where it's like, Joshua set something up here. 24 stones, two memorials. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And this is interesting, and they are there to this day. When he was writing it, he's like, no, they're there. How, and I, honestly, I don't know, and there's kind of commentary talk on this. How, how would he know they're there to this day? Well, because you just assume that they're uh, Some have said that it very well could be that in times of maybe dryness, that actually the waters receded down to the point where people have actually still seen those 12 stones standing there. Just what a cool testament. Right there. God did a work there. And I want to make sure and remember it. Verse 10, for the priest bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people 
according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. Elders, we had met this last week, and we were reading through this passage and talking about it, and one of the guys that made mention, he said, uh, I wonder how long they stood there. I mean, because likely there was probably at least a million and a half people. Now, there were some who were staying on the, on the west side because that was part of their uh, inheritance from the Lord on the west side, the two and a half tribes, the Transjordan tribes. And so they're over there, and we'll see here in just a minute that 40,000 of them come across with them, leading the charge like we had talked about in the text earlier and some weeks prior here. So there are some over here. So let's just say there's a million and a half people doing this whole walk, or a million and a half people and all their stuff, and their kitty cats and their dogs and their camels and their cows or you know whatever they had that's a lot right this was not like god parted it like this wide because it would take a long time however wide it was there they are in the middle holding the ark up bless their hearts i'd be like other shoulder (laughs) Uh, but in it god sustains them stood in the midst of jordan until everything was finished The people passed over in haste, right before verse 11. (laughs) It's again, that's an interesting statement. People don't quite know how to take that. Um, Haste, why in haste? Were they excited to enter in, some say? They were like, yeah, God's doing the work, let's go. Or was it like, hurry up, you guys. (laughs) I got to tell you, this is probably where I would be. Hurry up, honey. Luke M., come on. Get the kitties, get the dog, because the waters are right there. Uh, true? Okay, you guys got more faith than I do. They passed over in haste, and when all the people had finished passing over the ark of the Lord, and the priests passed over before the people. So they go in first, they come last. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh, that's the t- two and a half tribes on the east side, passed over armed Uh, Before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them, about 40,000 of them ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. There's a whole bunch of things we could talk about here. I just want to stay on one today. Um... I just want to stay on one. Let me start with this statement. The greatest enemy of our faith is forgetfulness. It's been said, it's not my statement, I've heard it said before that the greatest enemy of our faith is forgetfulness. And God knows that. And so what does God do? God says, hey, build two memorials. Two memorials. So there's 24 river stones, two memorials. Why would God do that? Because memorials remind. Memorials remind us. And as a forgetting people, they help. Back to verse 6, that this may be a sign. Uh, That word carries the idea that it's a sign that brings back to mind. Uh, In modern days, we could say billboard it. Billboard it. Hey, don't forget, go to Best Buy. Hey, I want to remind you, go to Kroger, okay? Hey, eat chicken, right? That's essentially what's going on. They remind. And God understands that you and I are forgetful people. 
I just say, this is so personal. Please don't go buy this and think this is some like religious institutional kind of a thing that's going on here. This is a very personal thing. And the Lord God creator with his people wants his people to remember. And so he tells them to make two memorials. But it's also interesting in this. And what's really struck me is that um, God doesn't say to do this kind of a thing often. I mean, it's not every day that God says, hey, go build a memorial. The fact of the matter is, is that this is a unique event. And in fact, as I remember in my Bible, this is the only kind of thing happened one other time about 40 years earlier when they were coming out of Egypt and crossing this Red Sea with Moses. And so here God says, listen, I want for you to build something. Again, God doesn't do that very often because this is not a frequent event. This is actually an infrequent kind of a thing. It's like sign it to remind it. That was a big deal. Yahweh showed up there, so sign it. Build something. Remember that. Stake it in the ground as something that you can go back to. Uh, We're not to live for the big God razzmatazz moments. They do come. But that's on God's hands. Uh, you've got a quote there in, in, in your notes, Dale Ralph Davis. He says, God's standard method of retaining his people's fidelity is not by frequent and dazzling displays of power. Instead, God's standard method of retaining his people's fidelity is by faithful witness and teaching of those particular acts in which he has already dist- demonstrated his care for his people. Listen. Why I'm so concerned about this is because these are the kinds of texts that people can walk away from, and as we'll talk here in just a second, do bad interpretation and application out of narrative text of the Scripture. And and here it's the kind of thing where I want to remind us today that, listen, we don't need one more miracle to take place in my life or in your life to convince us and to let us know who God is. This book alone contains everything about God that we need to know. It tells us of all the great wonders he has done, including creation. It tells us about what he's going to do in the future. And I'm not poo-pooing miracles that God can do miracles. I'm just saying this. We live in a world that oftentimes is so attracted to God. You did a miracle then. Where's mine? And God is saying, listen, I did a very special thing here. Memorialize it and memorialize it to remember it. Because I'm not doing the same thing next week or next month or even next year or even in the next decade. The greatest enemy of faith is forgetfulness. But the greatest friend of faith is remembering. Do do you remember what the Lord has done? I mean, maybe you're at a hurting place right now or just kind of an empty place right now. And and, and part of what happens, listen, we go back to these times where we remember the Lord. In fact, why did God in the Old Testament have his people do all those Old Testament feasts? Because they're prone to forget. And God wanted them to do that, not for legalistic reasons, but for remembering reasons. Why did God have his people celebrate the Passover every year? Because his people are prone to forget. And he wanted his people to remember him. Why are we doing the Easter thing? 
whatever the history of Easter, I love the fact, and when we celebrate it, I love the fact that once a year, it's like, pause, stop it. Let's just bring it back to the cross, bring it back to the tomb, all eyes there. Why here uh, 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 are we going to be doing a groundbreaking service? Because you know what? Sometimes we just forget what God has already done. And it's going to be a remember. That is not going to be a beat our chest and look at how awesome we are. That is going to be a time. Can you believe what God has done? This is happening. How sweet. That's our God. By the way, in the future, that building better not be a look at us thing. That building in the future, when people go, what's that about? Tell them what God has done. Memorials, they're important. These were taken from where the priest's feet were. All of that is just so cool. But Doug, that's all very cool for them. But, but still, Doug, even though you're talking about, I want a big God, Yahweh, kind of build a memorial thing for me. Uh, I want to walk away from this text with my thing, Doug. And as I noted here, this is some of the, the worst Christian thinking and application comes out of narrative. And it comes out of this. It's, it's like this idea of, well, God did that then. Therefore, God should do that now. And we actually forget the reality of God's progressive revelation and how God works with his people. The reality is, is that when we look back then at narratives and we see what God has done, what it is saying is that this is what God did. Blow your mind with that. That's how big God is. That's how purposed God is. That, that's what God is doing. He stays true to his word. This should remind us, friends, that God is God, and you and I are not. And so God has them build two stacks of stones. <laughs> Wing ding. Let me make this real, try and make this applicable. Because there's a principle here. It's a principle threaded throughout all of Scripture that we're to be a people that remember. So I would like for you just to kind of, in your own mind, if you need to close your eyes, do it. But just in your own mind, I'd like for you to start walking in your house. Walk through the front door. Go into whatever rooms are next. I'd like for you to start taking a look around in your own house. What memorials do you have in your house? Let me give you a couple. Family memorials. And I mean this in the right way. I'm not talking about idols. I'm just talking about things, pictures of family. We have one when you go up our steps and it makes a turn. There's a little ledge there. Karen's put a whole bunch of pictures of family. We have over on another kind of a, a cabinet or whatever you want to call it, shelf thing. We've got both our kids are married and, and, and them and their weddings and so forth. And man, those are fantastic, aren't they? Just sweet, sentimental. That's where I can get all sappy and everything. And, or maybe you have pictures of your friends, teens, maybe in your bedroom. You've got pictures of friends or things like that. Or maybe it's places you've traveled and, and gone and it brings back some sweet memories. Or maybe it's just little widgets or gifts that's been given to you. And that's all awesome. But I'd like for us to take a walk through and ask this question. Where's the God memorials? You know what I'm talking about? 
I'm talking about the kinds of things that you're not forcing something, but the kinds of things that for you are there. It's like, if you look at that, I'm telling you, there's a story behind that. You have no idea. But if you ask, I'd be happy to tell you. In fact, Paul, let's just kind of, as you're thinking, do you have those in your house? Let's go to the next slide. These are just as for when I was preparing and working on this, looking around my office. And, you know, you may come in. I mean, I don't know, maybe even other pastors. They notice these things in the office and they just think they're little decorations. But I'm just going to tell you for me, these are deep for me. Picture over here on the wall of past sermon series we've done here. I've kind of got to get some of them caught up in the last maybe three. And, but I, I'm going to tell you, not only do I look at those and I can just go back from the very beginning and remember what God has done my own life. I also look at that and I, and I think, I remember driving down before Harvest was launched and we were getting ready and I remember driving down in the car and I remember telling Karen, Karen, I'm scared to death about this preaching thing. So I've been used to teaching adult Bible fellowships and this was kind of a new gig. I was scared to death. And, and for me, God's just done a work in my life. I, I can't believe you come. But it's for me. God's done a work. What about for you? Think that. But what about for you? Do you have those kinds of things? Or I'm going to you know, get, get you thinking. In fact, Karen and Cody, would you help me here? You've got a rock that you came in with, a river rock. I'm going to have them, they're going to come up the aisle and they're going to pass out a permanent marker. It's not for your face, it's for the rock. So they're going to pass it to the outside row. And, and what I'd like for you to do is quick, so because what you're going to do is just write a word or a couple words uh, down. What, what, what's something you can remember just for you that just, that just sticks home? And then, and then uh, when you're done writing, pass it to the people right on the ends. And when you're done, I want to hurry, I want to move this and then pass it across into the middle so the people in all the middle can do it. And so all the pens should meet in the middle there, okay? Row by row. Do that. What is it for you? Well, let me just, as you're thinking this through, let me see so the second picture here. You can see this is a picture that's on my wall. You may not be able to tell what it is. That's okay. I don't really care because I'll tell you, for me, it's Mark chapter four. It's Jesus crossing the Sea of Galilee. That's my chapter. Do you have a memorial chapter like that? Mine's Mark chapter 4, Philippians chapter 3. You can't have them, they're mine. And I'm telling you, when I've gone through some hard times or I've wondered what it is, I go back to this whole thing. God, don't you care? That's just what the disciples said to Jesus' face. And he didn't fry him. Instead, he calmed it. And he taught their soul. What about for you? Maybe is there a chapter you want to write down on that rock? Is there a passage of scripture? And by the way, if you're kind of like, I, I, I don't have any, Doug. I just don't have any right now. In fact, when I go through my house, I don't have any. Here's what I want for you to do. Write Joshua 4 on the rock, would you? Just write Joshua 4. The other picture over here is a picture that Norm Wilson made. Many of you know Norm. There's some stories behind there. I don't have time. Staff was made by Rob Henning. 
when we were going through both of these I got when we were going through the Exodus series. And God was doing a work in my life at that time. And they're there to remind me, not just images on the wall. What about for you? Hey, if you don't have anything, then you have a homework assignment. It's time to go home and redecorate. It's time to go home and redecorate because I'm convinced part of the reason oftentimes why we disconnect God from what's going on in our lives is because when we go to our houses, we look around and there's nothing reminding us what God has done. It's not personal. It's just like a statue of an angel. That, Like, what's the deal with that? Not that you have one that's bad. I'm just saying it's like, what's the deal? Where are the memorials for you? Because what I'm telling you, when the people walked by these memorials, they were reminded. And just lastly, as I wrap this up in another minute, Memorials teach. Memorials teach. In fact, in verse 6 there, it says, When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean? The text goes on to say, you tell them what God has done. Do you have those around your house? Parents, do you have those around your house so that your kids periodically will go, Mommy, what's that? Daddy, what's that? Hey, Uncle Bob, what's that? And you're like, I would love to tell you what God has done. Is God memorialized in the right kind of a way around your house? This is a very together thing, by the way. So here's what we're doing. On your way out today, please drop your rock in the little baskets. There's one over here and there's one over here. Because, by the way, uh, you're like, I thought it was for me. No, psych. Um, it's for us because this was a together thing. And what I'm going to do with these, I don't quite know how this is going to work, but I'm going to take these and, and I don't know, in the new building, we're going to get like a glass vase or something. We're just going to put them. Maybe there'll be a couple and maybe over in the cafe counter or in the office area and everybody else who's like, I have no idea what that means. I have no idea what that's about. But if someone ever asks, guess what? You got an opportunity to come in and tell them what God has done and in your life, because your stone's in there. In fact, next Sunday, I'm going to try and have something up here on the platform with maybe two showing the stones in it, and I'm not going to say a word about it, but you're going to know. Okay? So let's just not read about it. Let's do it. Lord, I want to thank you so much for your kindness. (laughs) Kind of a very different sermon today, a very different kind of finish to things today. But Lord, um, we tend to forget. I know I do. And we need your help remembering. And so God, I pray even just in this exercise that people who have been thinking about things that have been, you've done in their life, Lord, that it would even just be the type of thing where it's sweet moments right now going for them of what you have done, how you've redeemed them, or you did a work in their life with that. And God, I would pray for those who right now are kind of like, man, I've just got fashionista stuff all around my house. My house is just like decorating for looks. I would just pray literally, Lord, that there would be a conviction to where it's like we got to go home and redecorate some things. And we need to make the Lord more prominent. You ask your people to remember big God work. We need to be that as well. Harvest, I'm just going to ask that you stay seated and you just spend some time with the Lord as uh, 
Nick sings over us here.